For patients who are unable to receive nutrition or medications orally, enteral feeding tubes offer an alternative method of delivery. Though the administration of medications through enteral tubes might seem simple in concept, a closer look reveals that it might be more akin to going over speed bumps while walking on a tightrope. Drug-nutrient interactions, adverse effects, a clogged apparatus, the list could go on and on. So it's worth asking, exactly what are the key considerations when administering meds through a feeding tube? You're listening to ReachMD Radio, XM160, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to Focus on Pharmacy. I'm your host, Dr. Charles Turk, PharmD. Our guest is Dr. Nancy Williams, PharmD, Associate Professor of Pharmacy Practice at Southwestern Oklahoma State University College of Pharmacy and a board-certified pharmacotherapy and nutrition pharmacy specialist. Dr. Williams, welcome to the program. Thank you. What are some examples of drug-nutrient interactions that clinicians need to be on the lookout for when administering medications through enteral tubes? Probably some of the more common ones are phenytoin, your quinolone, specifically ciprofloxacin, warfarin, and then also your proton pump inhibitors. There's some considerations with basically all of these medications just to make sure that patients are getting the appropriate absorption and that it's not interacting with the tube feeds. So how is it that these medications, you know, it's almost, you know, perhaps one by one because they may all be different, how is it that they interact with enteral feeds? Well, with phenytoin, and this is particularly with the liquid preparation, the interaction, what happens is phenytoin, the liquid, the suspension, can adhere to the enteral tube itself, and it can also bind to certain components in the tube feeding formulations, particularly the proteins and the calcium salts. And as a result of that, you can have quite a a significant amount of phenytoin absorption being reduced, even as much as up to 70%. So that is definitely one big consideration. With warfarin, when we first started noticing this drug interaction, they used to think it was because of the high amounts of vitamin K in the tube feeding formulations, and then they went back and reformulated the formulations taking out those high amounts of vitamin K, yet they were still seeing the drug interaction occurring, namely the warfarin resistance and patients not able to reach their desired INRs. So what they think is happening now is since warfarin is highly protein-bound, they think that warfarin may be binding to the proteins in the tube feed formulas. With the quinolones, and again, this is particularly with ciprofloxacin, that you see the drug interaction with the tube feeds, but all of your quinolones, actually the absorption is reduced when given with your divalent and trivalent cations like calcium, magnesium, aluminum, and iron, and it decreases the absorption of the quinolones. And these cations are found in tube feeding formulas, so when administered concurrently can affect quinolone absorption. But like I said, we particularly see that with ciprofloxacin, and we don't see that drug interaction with moxifloxacin. What are some of the workarounds that we have at our disposal as far as each of those medications are concerned? With phenytoin, basically all of these, you're going to see lots of different approaches. Some people will... The key is basically making sure you're separating the tube feeding formulas from the medication, making sure you're flushing in between the tube feeds and the drug, and diluting the medications also is very helpful. 
But specifically with phenytoin, when you're using the suspension formulation, which we do prefer to give liquid medications through the tube feeds, the most common reason is because you tend to have less tube occlusions that way. But with the phenytoin, you'll see people separating it anywhere from one to two hours before and after the phenytoin administration, separating it out from the tube feeds. Alternatively, if separating the medication from the tube feeds cannot be done, another option you can do is taking into account the drug interaction and increasing the phenytoin suspension dose, knowing that that drug interaction is going to occur and then increasing the dose to allow for it to occur. But the key is monitoring, monitoring your phenytoin levels and monitoring the patient to make sure that they're not having breakthrough seizures. So certainly taking into account when the enteral feeds stop, assuming that they do stop and that it isn't something that we're shooting for long term, making sure then that the patient doesn't go super therapeutic. Another good thing is with phenytoin, if they were on the suspension three times a day, if you can convert them over to like twice a day, because giving the medication less often means you're not having to hold the tube feeds as frequently. So that's, you know, another helpful piece of information. You'd mentioned dilution, too. How exactly is is that done? Diluting the medication is actually very important when administering medications through the, the feeding tube. You can dilute any, we're going to see varying amounts anywhere from probably like 20 to 50 mils of water because that helps to enhance absorption and increase the dissolution rate. Also, some medications are very hypertonic, and diluting it will help decrease the tonicity and make it more tolerable to the patient. The issue of clogging of feeding tubes does tend to come up every now and then. What's the best way of, uh, of preventing obstructions? The best way, like you said, is prevention, and it's flushing the feeding tube before and after medication delivery. I mean, that is really the key that we really need to emphasize. Flush the feeding tube with like 15 to 30 mils of water before and after drug delivery. Another thing, if they're getting multiple medications, don't mix the medications together and then put them down the tube. Each medication should be given separately and flushing in between. Liquid medications are preferred, again, because they go through the tube easier than, you know, your solid medications or your crushed medications. And then selecting medications or making sure that the medications are not directly mixed with enteral formulas. We really discourage medications being directly mixed with the tube feeds because incompatibilities can lead to clumping of the formulation that can clog the tube. But the the most important thing is, you know, flushing the tube feeds before and after medication delivery. Another thing that they will sometimes do to help prevent tube feeds is giving, it's a pancreatic enzyme solution, and it's made by using pancreolipase tablet that's crushed and then crushing a sodium bicarb tablet. And the reason why we use the sodium bicarb is it activates the pancreatic enzyme. And then diluting the crushed pancreolipase tablet and the crushed sodium bicarb tablet, dissolving that in like five mils of warm water and giving that as preventative therapy to help keep the tube open and not clogged. But again, flushing with water is the key thing. 
you mentioned using pancreolipase as a pharmacologic method of unclogging feeding tubes. How exactly is it, is it administered? You mentioned dissolving it, mixing it with an alkaline solution, dissolving it in 5 mLs of water. How long then does it need to be in contact with the obstruction? Well, usually what they do is they just then inject it into the obstruction. You know, we're at the site. Well, they inject it into the where the clogged feeding tube is, and hopefully at that point it'll help dissolve it. We use the activated pancreatic enzyme solution not only to help prevent clogging, but also to help treat a clogged tube. And what they do is they form this mixture, and then they just inject it through the tube and hope that that will open it up. And is it instantaneous, or does it need to sit there for a couple of minutes? Well, it just depends. You know, hopefully it'll work pretty quick. The nurses generally will know right away if it's going to work or not. Generally, we try, if the feeding tube becomes clogged, the first thing we recommend is acting fast and just using warm water first and trying that to see if that'll help declog it. And then if that doesn't work, using things like, you know, the pancreatic enzyme bicarb solution. And usually they try different things to, you know, get it un clogged, and generally they'll know pretty quick if it's going to work. If not, they'll just move on to something else. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Focus on Pharmacy on ReachMD Radio, XM160, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Charles Turk. Our guest is Dr. Nancy Williams, PharmD, Associate Professor of Pharmacy Practice at Southwestern Oklahoma State University College of Pharmacy. We're discussing medication administration via enteral feeding tubes. Dr. Williams, when it comes to liquids, what are some of the different formulations out there? What are some of the different subsets, and, and why might we prefer some over the others? With Liquids, we do prefer liquid formulations when administering medications through the tube feed because they're readily absorbed and less likely to cause tube occlusions. Of the liquids, we prefer elixirs or suspensions. The one we prefer the least or the one we use the least is syrups because syrups tend to be acidic and can cause clumping when exposed to enteral nutrition. So if possible, we prefer the elixirs or suspensions. Have some medications more than others been implicated in the clumping in syrup form? Probably the one that we use most frequently now would be the ferrous sulfate elixir. But again, that's if it's directly mixed with the tube feeding, which we never recommend mixing medications directly with tube feeds. But the ferrous sulfate has a low pH, and your acidic medications will cause clumping. Other medications, lithium citrate, again, this would be the, the syrup formulation. Pseudoephedrine, Sudafed syrup could also cause clumping because it's also acidic. Now, you mentioned that some healthcare professionals throw that advice by the wayside and simply go ahead and, and directly mix the drugs with nutrients. If a healthcare professional is steadfast in wanting to do that, is there any resource that you would recommend when it comes to assessing the potential for physical incompatibilities? There are some articles out there, but honestly, there's not a lot. And what was interesting is when you know, I was looking into this, some of these medications aren't even made anymore. I haven't found anything recently that has looked at this. It's more studies from several years ago. So it was interesting looking at some of these medications because we don't even use them. But there are some references out there that people can look at and help determine, you know, if they should be mixing it. But again, in general, we just really discourage mixing medications directly with the tube feeds. It needs to be separated from the enteral nutrition. 
Now, sometimes in the acute setting, we'll have to convert a patient from a solid oral dosage form like tablets or capsules over to liquid. Uh, what are some concerns associated with, with doing that? Well, you have to look at the formulation they were on before because if they were on an extended release preparation, a solid formulation of that, and they're only getting it probably once a day, when you convert medications to the liquid formulation, those are generally immediate release. So you'd be converting them from a once-a-day medication to maybe three times a mate, you know, a medication given three times a day. So you'd have to give it more frequently. That would be one thing you'd be looking at. Also seeing if there is an oral liquid formulation, because a lot of these medications don't have liquid formulations. Are there some adverse effects that are specific to the liquid formulations themselves? Well, one thing you need to consider when looking at the liquids is actually two things, the osmolality as well as the sorbitol content, because a lot of your liquid medications are hypertonic, and if you give the medication, the hypertonic medication too quickly, it can lead to an osmotic diarrhea and patients can have problems tolerating it. They can also have bloating, nausea, and cramping. So if the medication does have a high osmolality, we really recommend diluting it with like 10 to 30 mils of sterile water before delivery through the feeding tube and that'll help make it more tolerable for the patient. And then the other thing to look at is the sorbitol content. We use sorbitol as a sweetening agent in these liquid preparations, but giving patients too much sorbitol can actually have a laxative effect and lead to cramping and diarrhea. And a lot of your medications do have sorbitol, whether or not we're always aware of it. Are there any liquid medications out there that we need to avoid uh, giving in feeding tubes? There are some liquid formulations that will cause tube occlusions if, you know, you're using the liquid formulation. For instance, Cipro suspension, we avoid through the tube because it can cause occlusions. Lansoprazole suspension, sucralophate suspension, those generally, you know, should be avoided as well as mineral oil because that's too viscous and that can occlude the tube. So there are some liquid formulations that are not appropriate for administration through the tube. We've been speaking with Dr. Nancy Williams about considerations around oral medication administration and the setting of enteral feeding tubes. Dr. Williams, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. I'm Dr. Charles Turk. You've been listening to Focus on Pharmacy on ReachMD Radio, XM160, the channel for medical professionals. ReachMD online, on demand, and on air. Please visit us at ReachMD.com. Thank you for listening.